welcome to a special bonus episode of Fragments of Fear. To celebrate our podcast's one year anniversary, we've decided to release a bonus episode from our Patreon exclusive content to thank you for all for your continued support and to give a taster of what we do over on Patreon. Patrons of the Fragments of Fear podcast who pledge at $5 a month or Duccio Tessari tier get an exclusive episode of new content each month as part of their pledge, alongside access to polls, discussions and exclusive competitions. Previous topics discussed on our Patreon exclusive episodes have included our series on Neil Jali discussing films such as Tilpa, The Three Sisters and Video Man, alongside episodes focusing on our favourite protagonists, antagonists and couples of the Jalo. In today's bonus episode, we take a look at the first two episodes of Dario Argento's 1973 television series Farai, La Porto Silbuyo, aka Door into Darkness. We'll be examining Luigi Cozzi's The Neighbour and Dario Argento's The Tram as part of our treatment of the series. And if you'd like to hear a discussion of the next two episodes, The Doll and I Witness, you can find that on our second Door into Darkness episode, which is available via our Patreon. We'd also like to note that for those of you with access to Shudder, Door into Darkness is now available to stream. So if you haven't had the opportunity to watch it, now is the perfect time. As always, we thank you for your support and really hope that you enjoy our discussion. Wait and see what happens there. Yes. But talking about Argento nicely brings us on to um, today's subject. Yep. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the first two episodes of the Dario Argento Helm television series, Door into Darkness. And I guess this is as close as we're probably going to get to discussing Argento on the podcast, uh, certainly for the immediate future anyway. And what's really great about covering Door into Darkness on the show is that it's an entry in Argento's filmography that's not talked about all that much, and it's often relegated to footnote in his career. So um, we have the opportunity here to have a nice in-depth discussion about it and hopefully share some uh, interesting tidbits about the series. So I'll give a little bit of information about the show itself before we discuss the individual episodes. Uh, La Porto Silbuyo, aka Door into Darkness, was a television series that aired on the Italian television station Rai in 1973. It was a series of four short films produced by Italian director Dario Argento and purported to be directed by four different individuals. And as Argento says at the beginning of the series, the common theme of these films is they each exhibit a distinct atmosphere of fear, anguish and unease. The intention behind the series is that each film is a new and modern take on the traditional crime mystery film and it's Argento heralding in the new vanguard of the Italian thriller and showcasing this new style of what we would deem as the shallow. It's very much in the style of Alfred Hitchcock's television series Alfred Hitchcock Present, playing on Argento's reputation as the Italian Hitchcock and they adhere to a somewhat similar format of a director introducing a thriller film in each episode. And the series named Door into Darkness, as Argento says, uh, represents many things, but it's primarily about the fear of the unknown and how that frightens us, um, as well as that peculiar feeling we get when we find ourselves alone in a darkened room and get that creeping sense of foreboding and fear. And actually, you did a great tweet the other day, Peter, um, with a quote from Argento's autobiography about doors and what they represent in his work. And um, I guess the series really demonstrates Argento's fascination with the idea and symbolism of of the door in horror thriller cinema yeah because I've, I've started reading his autobiography uh, finally i've had a chance to sit down with that and obviously he relates to childhood fears and not being really afraid of the dark but being afraid of walking down corridors and and stuff so it was one of those things you could easily see that influence in in his films and it's a theme that sort of pops up in in these films as well or at least partly absolutely yeah so if you get started with the first episode yep uh, so the first episode of the series is a 
entitled Il Vincino de Casa, aka The Neighbor in English. It was directed by Luigi Cozzi, a frequent Argento collaborator who had previously worked as a writer and an assistant to Argento on Four Flies and Grey Velvet in 1971. Prior to directing this episode, Cozzi had directed an experimental film in the science fiction genre based on the novel by Frederick Pohl entitled The Tunnel Under the World in 1969. And we can actually see footage from the film in this episode. Um, it's on the television that the characters watch um, prior to uh, Frankenstein or about and Costello meet Frankenstein, which coincidentally was uh, Cozzi's favourite monster movie as a child. Alberto Mora, who played multiple roles in the tunnel under the world, served as an editor on The Neighbour. He'd later go on to edit Cozzi's The Killer Must Kill Again and Godzilla. Uh, but yeah, this was Cozzi's first commercial venture and his first foray into the shallow. After directing this episode, he went on to be fairly successful in his own right, primarily working in the 1980s in various genre films such as Star Crash, Paganini Horror and Contamination. He would work again with Argento in a television capacity, directing various episodes of Turno de Notte in 1987 as part of the Jago television series on Rai Dewey. And the pair continued to work together in various different capacities, including the opening of their horror-themed shop in Rome, Profondo Rosso. In an interview about his involvement with Door into Darkness, Kotze cites the work of American author Cornel Woolridge as an influence on the neighbor's script. Woolridge wrote the thriller It Had to Be Murder, which Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window was based on, and there's obvious parallels here between the film and Kotze's. Um, as an aside, Umberto Lenzi's Seven Bloodstained Orchids was also based on a novel by Woolridge, Rendezvous in Black. Argento collaborated on Kotze's screenplay for The Neighbour and was actively involved at the various stages of the process. He even filled in as a cameraman one day when they were a camera operator short. The Neighbour was filmed over 12 days and was mainly shot around Santa Marinella in Rome. Dario Argento's Il Tram was supposed to be the first episode of the series, but according to Cozzi, Argento was so impressed with The Neighbour that he thought it was the strongest episode, it should open the series to create the most impact. And so what's immediately obvious about the beginning of the episode is the way in which Argento segs from introducing the film to appearing in it. And he plays a man stranded by the roadside who's picked up by the film's protagonists, a young couple with a baby, who are giving him a lift up the road. And we see a conversation between them in the car from Dario's character's point of view, um, which is a really nice way of connecting the introduction of the programme to the film itself, um, which feels quite meta in nature, actually. Then we're shown the episode's title card and the main event, Sans Argento, begins. As you'll find with most of the episodes of Door into Darkness, we have a rather simple premise here. Uh, Laura Belli and Elza Reggiani play Stefania and Luca, a young couple with a baby who are moving into a new apartment by the sea. On arrival, the couple's car gets stuck in the mud, and to make matters worse, they find the power to their villa has yet to be connected, of course. <laughs> uh, later on, when they discover a leak coming from upstairs, they decide to investigate its source. They find the tenant of the apartment upstairs is absent, but the door is open. And upon entering the apartment's bathroom, they find a flooded bathtub which contains the corpse of a woman. With no means of escape or way to contact the authorities, they decide to hunker down for the night, ready to leave in the morning. However, the realisation that they've left a lighter upstairs in the neighbour's apartment sends the pair into panic. Will Luca be able to retrieve the lighter before the neighbour reappears and suspects the couple of discovering his dastardly deed? A popular Italian actress at the time, Belli and Reggiani, put in solid performances here as the young couple implicated in a rather unfortunate series of events. But the main attraction of the film is undoubtedly peplum and Western actor Mimo Palmara, who has a great presence as the neighbour, exhibiting a rather sinister aura. Um, his appearance is modelled on Raymond Burr and Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, and which, as we've discussed, was an influence on Cozzi's film. Uh, Burr coincidentally appeared in the aforementioned Godzilla that um, Luigi uh, directed. But it was actually Argento who suggested Palmara for the role. But due to the actress' fairly youngest age at the time, uh, hair and makeup had to age up his appearance. The character's slow movements were to suggest the creeping inevitability of his actions, and I suppose to really play up to that sense of dread that permeates throughout the episode. And he's quite a, a sinister character, maybe not 
typically conventional of these sorts of films. And that unnerving atmosphere is evoked through some rather nice tense scenes in the film. Uh, Stefania's realisation that the water stain from above can be seen in her living room um, and that the neighbour will clock it at any moment is a particularly effective moment, as is her stalling as Luke investigates above. And we have quite a few um, close-up shots and cutting between two images uh, frequently throughout the film, which again creates this discordant, rather unsettling feel. The moment that the neighbour infiltrates the couple's home itself, um, the big kind of pinnacle moment, is such a wonderfully sinister um, piece in the film, potentially made all the more sinister by the fact that we don't see the struggle between um, the characters. And um, I just love that moment where he comes through um, the window with almost no sense of urgency, almost moving in the same way that a zombie would move again kind of making him quite different from um, other characters other villains of um of Shally. his movements are fairly leisurely which again creates a rather unsettling um feel and considering this is Kotsi's first foray into thriller territory um as a director anyway um he really shows that he knows the beats required of the genre um, he knows what the audience are anticipating and really leans into that and ratchets up the tension accordingly, as perfectly demonstrated in the scene with the neighbour and the hammer. Peter, you'll probably talk a bit about um, Gasolini's wonderful music throughout the series. But yeah, it's highly effective here. Um, alongside the sound design, you have the crashing of the sea and the wind that really helped to heighten the music as well as create that rich atmosphere of fear. As I mentioned, it's a story obviously inspired by Rear Window. Um, the action unfolds, maybe in some people's eyes, rather slowly. But I mean, it's not intended to be a grandiose style shallow, partly due to limitations of being broadcast on television still manages to be an effectively eerie and suspenseful film without having to be violent or sexual in nature. It's a lesson creating a sense of fear and foreboding without having to necessarily show anything horrific. There's some nice commentary here in regards to the idea of the nosy neighbour and the neighbour himself seems to be a man who just wants to be left in perfect solitude but is driven mad by his nagging wife who won't give him the PC craves. And the young couple's curiosity and lack of respect for the man's privacy ends up endangering their own lives and in a perverse way you can almost see things from the man's point of view in, in which his life seems to be constantly disrupted by other people. So I certainly wouldn't say we're sympathetic to him but there is yeah, a bit of humour in his um, need to um, escape from all these nosy people around him um, and I think we can all slightly relate to that um, that have neighbours um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah isolation is key here in terms of setting uh, events take place in a quiet seaside area at night um, there's not a soul about other than the neighbour and the couple's apartment itself is bare with no furniture. There's no means of communication and no electricity. So Luke and Stefania really have no connection to the outside world, nothing to arm themselves with. Uh, so they're completely vulnerable here. And they find themselves trapped in what essentially feels like a prison due to the apartment's stripped back feel. And it adds to that palpable fear of there being no place to hide, feeling very exposed in unfamiliar surroundings uh, where the neighbour undoubtedly has the upper hand. Also, in regards to the film setting, when the couple are watching the Frankenstein film, um, they draw parallels between the gothic setting of the film and the apartment they reside within, referring to the neighbour upstairs as a potential vampire. And Luca himself remarks upon the real horrors of life taking place outside of the monster magazines he works on, um, or horror films on the TV, which is a statement that proves to be somewhat prophetic. And the series was originally conceived to be shown in black and white, and we can certainly see in the example of the neighbour how effective it would have been um, in black and white. It would have taken on more of that modern gothic tone that clearly runs throughout the story and that crescendos in the film's poian end. I'd say the ending is fairly obviously telegraphed, but still effective. It's evidently inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, which we know is very much fodder for horror writers. Um, we've seen adaptations in terms of Filch's The Black Cat in 1981 um, and Argento's The Black Cat segment for Two Evil Eyes in 1990. But what's quite nice about the ending is that you 
finally get that tension release and there's something quite darkly comical again about the baby's cry coming out at that exact moment when the neighbour thinks he's gotten away with his crimes. And there's similarities here between Kotze's 1975 film The Killer Must Kill Again and I get the impression that Kotze probably wanted to expand on ideas present in the neighbour for his 1975 feature especially as it impressed Argento so much and seemed to be quite successful as a piece. We have that desolate off-season seaside setting uh, this rather mysterious, slightly odd villain. We have the young couple in their car journey and this rather sadistic capture that takes place in an isolated setting. Both films also exhibit that darkly comical tone of a character that has to kill due to a series of unfortunate and unforeseen circumstances. So we see some of these ideas on a grander scale and somewhat expanded upon a couple of years later. The episode was seen as the most violent and disturbing one of the series, and there was a lot of outrage at the time as a result. Uh, Kotze and Argento really pushed the envelope in terms of what was acceptable to show on television at the time. Um, in fact, there was an article published in the La Stampa newspaper uh, which said that numerous Fiat workers were absent from work the next day because they were so disturbed by the content of the episodes. Um, and felt like that something like that could happen to them and their loved ones. I mean, I don't know how genuine that really is if they were putting it on a bit. It seems a bit absurd, but who knows? Because yeah. um, I think I think for modern audiences, uh, it, it might seem bizarre. But then again, I suppose, with, as always, we have to be mindful of uh, the sensibilities of the general um, populace back then. And it was a time where Italy had, I believe, only two television channels, I think. Um, and that's probably what people would have been tuning into. Perhaps it's the sort of thing that they wouldn't have been exposed to before. Um, it's evident from the off that Argento wants to challenge his audience with what he deems as a new form of cinema with the series, challenging the preconceived notions of what the thriller is. And obviously we can debate the success of that in terms of the series as a whole or, you know, the individual episodes. But it's clear that Door into Darkness seeks to push the envelope in terms of what could be shown on TV at the time. And nearly 30 million people watched the first episode of Door into Darkness. Um, and if you bear in mind that Italy's population at the time was around 53 million in the early 1970s, yeah, that's quite substantial as numbers go. Um, yeah. And as Cozzi says himself, um, audiences prior to the show weren't familiar with what Italian directors really looked like and who they were. Um, so the series very much popularised uh, Dario Argento as a cinematic figure who became instantly recognisable as a result. And he became yeah, this cult-like figure who people were familiar with, even if they hadn't seen Door into Darkness or his films. Um, and I think what's so effective about Door into Darkness and what comes across not only in this film, but throughout the series, is that these scenarios are relatable for an audience. Um, each premise is conceivable and plays that fear of the unknown and the dangers that lurk in seemingly normal and familiar settings. And yeah, that's perhaps what's so frightening. As the neighbour himself says, nothing ever happens here. And that's really the point of Door into Darkness. It's exploring what would happen if something extraordinary happened in the ordinary. You make some interesting points there. I mean, obviously, it's quite easy to tell that the neighbour, that his makeup is inspired by Raymond Burr and in rear window and it's he's the same kind of killer as well isn't he that quiet lumbering man and like you said almost almost a tragic figure rather than a cold-blooded killer yeah like you said not your typical motivation for a killer just almost that rest like that restless nature that he seemingly has you know um with sleepless and the killer can't sleep and all the animals yeah. are disrupting him and it's just about wanting peace and quiet um it's quite yeah. an unusual um, motivation to see in these films seemingly more of a like everyday motive than most of the killers in in other jelly made at the time yeah completely i said he doesn't get annoyed at their neighbor and fed up with them and their tv being loud all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> and all that yeah i mean it's always quite difficult to look back on a 50 year old tv series because i think there's a bigger difference in tv productions compared to film 
I mean, if you look back even 20 years, it's quite a difference in, in how TV shows were, were shot and how they were paced and production values and stuff. So looking back at this now, it doesn't look like much, but who knows what kind of effect it had on people in the 1970s who were used to a completely different sort of language, completely different way of telling stories on TV. So this might have been much more cutting edge than what we see now. Absolutely. I suppose it seems quite quaint for a modern audience and modern sensibilities, but it's thanks to people like Argento with this TV series that the boundaries were pushed and that we could get things that did become increasingly more violent and more extreme in certain ways. I know some people say that's not a good thing, but yeah, there had to have been some sort of progression over the yeah. years to get to the point that we're at now where like tv can often be far more violent than watson films yeah and tv and films have they're closer to each other now than they were back then because in terms of production values and in terms of how they were shots and paced and that, that sort of thing I mean, I tried to watch a few late 80s TV series with my wife and they're nearly, I wouldn't say unwatchable, but I mean, the pacing is just so different to what it's like now. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, something that was sort of drawn out over four episodes, that would be one episode now. Watching these, they're quite slow moving, most of these episodes. Yeah. uh, In comparison. And I suppose, yeah, like we said, there's, you know, there was only two channels at the time and maybe you could take more time with telling a story. I suppose nowadays everything's so much more competitive and people assume that everyone's on their phone when they're watching something and it's doing whatever they can to draw people in. And if something's not successful immediately, it gets cancelled or, you know, it's just relegated to being put in the bin and nothing can develop at a natural pace. So, yeah, it is a lot more slow in nature as a television series, but... As you said, 50 years ago, it was just a completely different landscape. Yeah, definitely. I haven't got that much to to add, I think. The one thing we could mention about The Neighbour is that the intro is the best one of the series. Definitely, yeah. And it's sort of incorporated into the episode. It's kind of interesting to speculate on why it was done in that way and the others were sort of Dario in front of a camera because I think that first intro works so much better. Yeah, it's kind of think when you first watch the series, you... Like and obviously that's the first episode you expect that to go on throughout the episodes and to find Argento kind of placed in these situations and then it goes off and does its own thing but um yeah, yeah unfortunately they only do that for the neighbour um like as a fan of Argento it's so much fun to see him like and you know as himself and not just a disembodied like hand yeah um, here uh, young and quite dapper and yeah like you can see why it would be a cult personality you can see why people would be like oh it's that you know new film director because he does have something about him. Um, yeah, here. Yeah, it definitely does. Shall we move on to to the second episode? Yes, let's do it. The second episode is Il Tram, or The Tram, where a young woman is found dead on a tram pulling into to the yard, and the girl, Monica Rini, is 27, and she's been stabbed on the tram, but nobody, not even the ticket collector or the driver or any other passengers have seen it happened. So Giordani, the detective in charge of the case, arranges a reconstruction which seems to point to the ticket collector who's charged with murder, but Giordani is not convinced that he's caught the killer. So he arranges for a new uh, reconstruction on his own with his girlfriend as a stand-in for the dead girl, but the killer is close by. So the tram was directed by Dario Argento himself under the pseudonym Sergio Bernadotti, probably because he was 
was worried that directing TV would undermine his status as a filmmaker. It was based on an idea that was originally planned to be included in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. As an Argento fan, it's quite fun to watch this one because there are a lot of familiar faces here. Giordani is played by Enzo Cerucciu, uh, who would play one of the leads in Dario's next film, Cinque Giornate, or The Five Days of Milan. His girlfriend, Giulia, is played by Paola Tedesco, and she wouldn't appear in any other Argento productions, but in Antonio Bido's Wash Me When I Kill a few years later. And just like in Cat and Nine Tales, the detective in charge of the case works with two policemen. And just like in Cat, they're played by Corrado Olmi and Fulvio Mingozzi. And Olmi, who plays Morsella in Cat and the Super in, in Four Flies and Grey Velvet, plays the inept assistant Marini. And Mingotti's role is smaller, but he, he pops up as well. Same thing with the passengers. They're also made up by familiar faces. Tom Felligy, who appeared in Cat and Nine Tales and would later turn up in a small part in Deep Red. Uh, Maria Tedeschi plays the older nurse, and she, she was in Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Salvatore Pontillo would appear in Profondo Rosso. And Emilio Maricini, who plays Marco Roviti, that had appeared in Cat and Nine Tales as Dr. Mombelli. The tram is... The episode in the series that most actively goes for laughs. The first two thirds of the film are quite they're quite light-hearted, I'd say, despite the murders. But there are several comedic elements, and most of them coming from from Olmi, and I actually find him quite funny. The setup is almost like a locked room or an impossible crime type mystery, where the first act is spent on the setup and the interrogations of the passengers before moving on to the reconstruction. It's not really until the last third where Giordani uh, stages his own reconstruction that the mood changes and becomes much more thriller-like and much more what we expect from from Argento as Giordani and Giulia are on the tram and being followed by the killer. It's the sort of classic Argento setup where the main protagonist is overlooking a detail that only becomes apparent when he goes back to the crime scene. And in this case, the reconstruction at night where he realises that the light in the carriage cuts out as the tram goes over shifts. As it turns at the same time, it obscures the view for the ticket collector. And that's when the young woman is stabbed. I mean, it's not much of a mystery because there's somebody sitting right right next to her and there's not all that many people that would have been able to stab her. But I don't know, I can look past that and just think that it works quite well all the same. Once he, Giordano figures out how the killer did it during his own reconstruction and the tram pulls into the yard with Julia that the episode really heads into thriller territory and the last 10 minutes in the train yard, they're very tense and well constructed, I think. There's some great shots here, especially one where you can see julia walking on the platform you see her feet and then you can see the killer walking on the platform as well but on the other side of the tram dario wasn't allowed to use a knife in the tv show so the killer grabs a hook instead so that had to be had to bring that in instead of instead of a knife interestingly enough giordano is actually out of action because the killer knocks him out before he starts chasing julia and Giordana doesn't even appear to to save her, and she's instead saved by a couple of men working in the train yard. I guess it depends a little bit on what you want out of these episodes. The thriller elements 
take quite a while to come along. But once they get there, I think they're quite effective. And Cherry Trusso doesn't really exude the detective energy like somebody like Pier Paolo Capone. And it's much more lighthearted. And the crime, the central mystery in itself, doesn't seem that unsolvable. But at the same time, I think it's a really enjoyable episode. I think it's quite fun. Love seeing all these these familiar faces. And even if you think it's quite slow going through the reconstructions, I think the, the end really makes it worth the, the journey getting there. What do you think about this episode? Yeah, absolutely. No, I would agree with you. I think with all the episodes, really, not maybe not with the neighbour, because obviously we know who the killer is. But I think if you're coming to Door into Darkness thinking that you want to be wowed maybe in the way that some Shally do in terms of, you know, the reveal of the killer, you're, you're not going to find that in these because, you know, they're hour-long episodes and they're more of an exercise in f- creating this sense of fear and tension. So you're not going to kind of, it's it's going to be pretty obvious from the pool of suspects and the way it's constructed. But um, yeah, it's more about the journey to get there. I think like what you said about how the tension, how we've got that that contrast between the tension at the end of the episode versus um, the lighthearted nature is completely true. And there's very much a, a mirror image going on there with the lighthearted tram journey in the daylight um, to that quite anxiety uh, interesting one at nighttime where we're waiting to yeah. kind of find out how the killer is going to reveal himself and what's going to happen to the characters yeah i completely agree i think it's a really a really effective entry and it does demonstrate argento's and propensity for humor and that kind of comical aspect I and mean, i really enjoyed uh, the fake confession scene with that individual um uh, near the start oh, yeah. of the episode and he's trying to confess to the crime and they've, they've got his number and all of that but then Later on, you have this issue where they're so quick to dismiss, you know, people making false confessions, rightfully so, because it's obvious that he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. But then the inspector, he, like you say, he misses out that key detail. He doesn't really thoroughly investigate. Um, they're very quick to pin it on um, the tram conductor. Yeah. So then we have this kind of, and then there's actually that bit in the court scene with the tram conductor going, like, I think he said something like, you weasels. And it's almost like he's saying it to the audience. Yeah. And it's, yeah, this awareness that things aren't, quite as they seem again that's like a theme that we um fight oh, yeah i didn't think of that that's that's a good point yeah because it's just the idea of perception isn't it? it's like what what we think that we're seeing or how we think things are um so obviously the inspectors i wouldn't call them incompetent but yeah maybe not not the, the best inspector i've ever seen part of the course i suppose in these films like you said uh, as well with with the comedic elements i think argento is one of the directors working in the genre that does that best because i don't think they're they're disruptive i find the comedic elements in suspicious death of a minor much more difficult to handle than these ones yeah they're because they're not slapstick they can be quite funny they can be quite silly but i think they work well within within the context yeah and i think people dismiss well not dismiss but people often think of the the genre as quite serious and it's all these murders going on and fairly heavy and it's not really the case if you actually look at a lot of the films of the era like of the kind of golden period they do often have these comedic moments or comedic characters i mean some of the comedies maybe a bit more cultural and then sometimes of course because you know we're like 50 years on i I don't know like the the overweight character asking for like you know wanting the cookie i mean some people like yeah nowadays days find that a bit crass but you can see like what they were going for at the time and trying to create that atmosphere and i really like that bit when they're all um in the tram and they're arguing over how the crime was committed and who um did it and like you said there's so many great kind of character actors and characters um actors that we're familiar with um in the genre that it's nice to see them all doing their little bit um in that scene um uh, and yeah, again, we'll come back to the idea of the perception of things. It's, it's almost like a commentary on how people 
often make a false narrative and all these different characters and how they're interpreting things in a different way and they've put different things together and come to incorrect conclusions. So, yeah, the inspector's got to contend with these conflicting narratives trying to ascertain the truth. And so that that seems it's very effective, like from a comedy standpoint, but also, yeah, just kind of hammering home the themes of the episode and of uh, the series as a whole. Yeah. So out of these two episodes, we're going to try to sort of rate all the episodes against against each other in the next episode. But out of these two, which which one is your favourite? I prefer I prefer the tram to neighbour, just simply because it's it's you know it's classic Argento, isn't it? Classic Argento of this period. Um, it's well done. There's got that mystery element, like you said, it's that locked room kind of thing. Yeah, it feel, it just feels a little bit more slick in terms of how it's put together. Yeah, it knits together well, doesn't it? Yeah, slightly rougher edges on the neighbour, I'd say. Yeah, I think the neighbour just... I don't know if it would have been served better by being a longer piece or maybe it's overly long, I'm not sure, but there's something about the neighbour for me that just doesn't quite... Like, the pacing of it doesn't quite work. Yeah, the suspense is yeah. good. I fully accept maybe because it's like a mod- modern sensibility thing, but I just feel like I need a bit more with that one. Yeah. Maybe a bit more intrigue, a bit more well there is tension but yeah i just something about the way it's constructed just doesn't completely work for me and i think the tram just works together as an episode a lot better but that's not to say the neighbor is not not a good entry it's just i prefer the tram i don't know if that's just my argento bias yeah it's difficult i've been thinking about that as well is it is it just because you know it's argento but i think i honestly think if i would have seen the two side by side and not knowing who directed it i think i would have preferred the tram because, like you say, I, th- I think the neighbour does seem a little bit... Uh, the pacing is not quite as good. Yeah, and I think Luigi Cozzi obviously goes away and does The Killer Must Kill again a couple of years later, and that's a much better thriller. So obviously, yeah, yeah. there are ideas in yeah, there that need to go and developed. So we kind of got that out of it. And said so The Neighbour's not bad, it's just maybe not as good as The Tram. It's like a part trial run for The Killer Must Kill again. Yeah, absolutely. Just something that I thought about with The Tram, I don't know if you thought anything of it in, the, in your notes, but it's just the ending's got a bit of a political statement to it, doesn't it? Because it's that bit um, about, about murderers being stupid and intelligent. Intelligent killers being the ones with riches. Um, intelligent oh, yeah. criminals, I think it's intelligent criminals being the ones with riches who have clean hands. And I think yeah. that's quite interesting because obviously the corruption issues in Italy at the time, and then we have the clean hands scandal in the early 90s. So I thought I was just watching with modern eyes. It's quite interesting. It's almost a bit of a comment on criminal justice system and crime and Italy's issues there with um, criminal activity and the way that crime was kind of interwoven with um, bureaucracy. Yeah, just almost unusual in an Argento film to see such kind of blatant statement made yeah price when i watched it back and thought oh yeah that is quite an interesting statement at the episode's end that concludes this bonus episode on dario argento's door into darkness like rachel said if you want to hear us discuss the next two episodes in the series join our patron at patron.com slash fragments pod and get access to all our previous and upcoming patron episodes we'd really like to thank all our patrons for supporting us and helping us with hosting costs equipment and research materials we're very very grateful for your help we'll be back soon with a patron exclusive episode on lost jally and towards the end of the month with a new main episode where we'll discuss andrea bianchi's strip nude for your killer Our theme music for the patron episodes is by Massimo Massimo. The track is called The Contessa's Seduction, and you can find it at superspectrum.bandcamp.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.